Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. This is Sandy Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief, and your regular host for the podcast. Today, I'm handing off the mic to our fabulous guest host, Kia Williams, 2022 Idea Fitness Instructor of the Year. In this episode, she welcomes Dr. Darian Parker, an NSCA certified personal trainer who earned his doctorate from UNLV in sports education leadership with an emphasis on behavior modification. In their conversation, Kia and Dr. D explore many topics important to contemporary fitness pros as viewed through his expert lens and leadership experience. If you're interested in the multifaceted world of behavior change and how you might enhance your skills and offerings with it, tune into this important chat. Dr. Parker has worked in both the academic and private club sectors in roles such as director of education for a career college, a general manager of a high-end luxury residential fitness club, and a national director of fitness for a global leisure management company. Dr. Parker was well ahead of the virtual curve that transformed our industry during the pandemic. He started a live virtual personal training business several years ago, through which he provides real-time personal training, coaching, and behavior modification services for many prominent business leaders across the United States. He is also the host of Dr. D's Social Network, a podcast devoted to genuine, open, and honest conversations with people from all over the world. Let's drop into their conversation to find out more about Dr. D's career path to spark some inspiration for you. Well, hello, Dr. Darian Parker. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Kia? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for asking. We are more than excited to have you as our first featured guest on our premiere episode. And we had so many amazing questions come in for you. So you're definitely in for a treat, as are we. With your expertise and your background, there's just so much knowledge that we can gain from you, from your studies, from from you educating us. Are you ready to dive in, Dr. Parker? Ready. Let's get it done. (laughs) Let's get it done. First question for you coming in is, will you please give us a quick explanation of your career studies of behavioral change and mental health and fitness? Yeah, uh, just a little background. So um, my doctorate's in behavior modification with an emphasis in sports and exercise settings. Uh, But overall, I guess the larger doctorate's in sports education leadership. And, uh, you know, for me, the idea about mental health and behavior change has always been in my mindset when I started training 20 years ago. And it just, it wasn't really there in the business. It's just such a physical uh, component of the wellness wheel, primarily is what we discussed when it came to fitness. But I think today's professional and currently in our society, and especially what's happening with what's happened with the pandemic is there's a there's a huge desire and need for increasing our connection with people, improving our mental uh, wellness. I mean, I think most people you talk to at this point recognize there's a need for people to have companionship and to for us to really study and look at uh, how mental health and behavior change are really no longer 
things that are in the background in our lives, but they should be in the forefront of our lives. And so I think you're starting to see more research and study related to the importance of mental health. And I think you saw that during the pandemic is, and most people were, they're lonelier than ever, that they just, they really needed other people to talk to, the sense of isolation. There's a lot of research studies related to isolation and how that plays out into psychosocial dynamics uh, and interpersonal relationships with other people. And so what I've seen in the business, especially in the training business, is that clients, group acts, whatever it may be, there's a real yearning and desire to want to talk about mental health issues, to want to talk about behavior change. How can I come out of this and be a better human being? and not just a fitter human being. And that's a big part of, I think, you know, work with idea and if there's that we're pushing forward in this frontier of mental health, behavior change, and not just physical behavior change, because it's one thing to look good, but really what's the point of it if mentally and emotionally and socially you're not well? What's the point of being physically well if those other things aren't well? Wow so many amazing nuggets in that one explanation that you provided us. Can we just take a moment for you to just further explain to us more about your very pioneering and exciting career journey? We understand your background, your PhD studies within the topics of behavioral change and mental health, but, but what got you there? What got you so interested in the topic? You know, so my undergrad and my master's were all kind of your hardcore science, you know, kinesiology, chronic acute adaptations to, you know, specific demands. And, you know, and anybody in the business, I think it's, it's important to know that stuff. But the further I went in my education, the bigger the gap I saw in the social, emotional, intellectual aspects of our business. I mean, I think if you've done any formal education or you studied for an exam, the majority of the information on our certification exams and our schooling is all about the science of the body. Very little attention is given to the science of the mind. Very little. When we think about it, it should be at least even or more devoted to what's actually happening in the mind. And so when I was going on with my terminal studies with my doctorates, I wanna focus on the mind because I really think this is really what's going to be the larger discussion piece in the future of fitness is how do we connect to our minds better, connect to our emotions and our feelings much more. And that is actually the first step to becoming physically better. So I really started thinking about this connection between the mind and the body, you know, mind and body has been a conversation in our business. But when somebody asks me, how do I get fitter? How do I get in better condition? The first thing I say is you start thinking about your mind first. What's the stress you have in your life? Who are the people you're around? What, what are the conditions that you're in? How, who, who is basically mentoring you on a regular basis? Who's causing you positive feelings, negative feelings in your life? And I was like, well, I thought we we're gonna talk about Fitness. I'm like, it is, that is fitness. That is fitness. So it's a lot of a lot of it to me was also influenced by like how the media is portraying what fitness is, what of our colleagues are portraying what fitness is, and not giving enough time to the mental aspect, the psychosocial elements of health and wellness. Because really, I think we're gonna come out of this really as we look in the future, our industry is in a real infancy stage still. 
is that we're going to find out that if you can't get your mind right <laughs> initially, it's hard to get your body right. Absolutely. The fitness industry is a very young industry, yes. but still so much opportunity. We've already proven our resilience and how innovative we are, but with applying even more science to it and not just the physical component of science, as you, as you mentioned, the entire wellness will, because the human beings that we serve are very complex yes. individuals. They're not monolithic. They're not just singular. We are programming to serving to just multiple various diverse needs of various yeah. diverse individuals. So I, you are so spot on. I agree with you completely. You. Another question that we had come in for you, Dr. Parker, um, and this I relate to because I actually took your session. I was a participant in this session, but you recently led a session at Idea World Virtual, the session titled Past, Present, and Future Digital Technologies and the Implications for Virtual Fitness Works. And fitness technology has become increasingly popular for social engagement, measuring and encouraging physical activity over the recent years. What are your takes on the effectiveness of fitness technology for promoting behavior change? That's a big question. That's a huge <laughs> question. It's like a huge existential <laughs> question related to fitness and technology. And I love presenting on that this past Saturday. I've done the presentation a few times and uh, I'm always struck by the how thirsty people are to learn about fitness technology and because we're using technology every day. And the funny thing is, I think we don't often know what we're using. We just use it without thinking about the mechanism, the components inside the machine, how it actually works. Uh, but I think you, you will see like with a lot of fitness technology, it, whether it's a, a, a watch, whether it's a ring, uh, whether it's an armband, whatever it is, I still think we're in the really early stages of this. The efficacy of it, I think, is really not that high for most people. I mean, if you think about it, really, the percentage of people that are exercising regularly or to the daily recommendations is dreadfully low in the United mm -hmm. States and certainly starting to catch up around the world. So the efficacy, the volume of use I don't, and long-term use, I don't think is there. But I think we have a real issue with fitness technology in that we just don't know how to interpret the results of what we get. And a lot of the gadgets that are out there, they tell you some very simple parameters of health and some very complicated parameters of health. And really, if you don't have the guidance of somebody to really help you like, well, this is what this means and how this needs to be um, you know, proactive in your life or how do you execute this? You're gonna struggle, it's just gonna be a gadget. It's just gonna be a machine that will not get used for a pretty long time. So telling somebody that they're sleeping this amount of hours, that amount of hours is good, but are you going to actually change your behavior because you saw that? Maybe, maybe not. Telling somebody that their heart rate variability is between this and that, or they shouldn't work out today, they should. The question is, will they adhere to that? And so giving people information is one thing. And I think that's another part of the future of fitness is that there will not be, there will be a time in the future where everything will be monitored. You will know every single vital statistic of your body, but that still won't be enough because the humans are funny. We can know everything and still do the wrong thing. Happens and you take it to anything. You can know you're not supposed to smoke cigarettes, but people still do it. 
You know you're supposed to exercise, people don't do it. it does, so having the information is not enough. So we need fitness technology that is not only information gathering, but also execution wise, it creates accountability. The first person to create true accountability or team of people in fitness and technology is going to create something very powerful. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing from you is that there's opportunity for yes. fitness experts like those who are, you know, tuning into your your episode right now to truly have a meeting of the minds with behavioral experts and psychologists and those who are creating these texts or um, different social media technology as well to bridge the gap to answer these questions because we are doing the work as group fitness instructors and personal trainers and providing explanation of all the metrics and all the feedback that people are getting. But how do we create exercise adherence, which is still a very um, young, a young topic of research. There's not a lot of research out there on exercise adherence. Um, We need more is what I'm asking is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. This is a big topic. It sure is. What more do you have to add to that, Dr. Parker? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, permission is a really big thing for me with people and permission to not like exercise. This is probably very counterculture to probably what any fitness professional would say on any program, they're gonna pump up exercise, we need exercise, I'm for that, I'm for it. However, I think there's a layer that a lot of professionals need to understand is that biologically and anthropologically, we were not meant to do the exercise we're doing right now. Everything you see in the gym, somebody running around for the purpose of fitness and they're not running from something that potentially could be threatening them, these are, these are odd and biologically um, not what we have done. We are conservation machines. And so we're generally, we are conserving for the process of reproduction, keeping ourselves safe, digging, tubing, all these things. So we come around to a time of life now where our lives are actually easier than they've ever been. We have so much convenience in our lives. So what's happening is exercise adherence is actually becoming harder for humans. Because as technology increases, the progress is meant to try to make our lives easier. So there's this weird competing force of, hey, let's get people to exercise more, but also let's make life easier so we don't have to do as much manual labor. There's a strange dichotomy there that I don't think we understand very well. Uh, But I think from the first standpoint is it's okay to have permission to go, I don't like this and I don't wanna do this. When somebody tells me that, I go, you probably shouldn't. It's biologically and anthropologically not what we're used to doing as humans. You know, hunter-gatherer societies, don't, what, the ones that even currently exist today, when people go in and study, and they say, oh, we're gonna go for a run just to do it, they think it's the strangest thing that people would do. Because it's not, you don't, and, and within that culture, in past cultures, you exercise to be alive to survive. So we've, it's funny, this whole aspect of fitness and wellness and technology and exercise adherence, in many ways, we're understanding the body better. We're understanding the mechanisms of our, our humanity physically and mentally, but it's not creating exercise adherence still. 
the number of people who exercise is still crazy low. And it's really just for a lot of fit people keep getting fitter, essentially. And we're not reaching the people who really, really are, are not maybe in the best situations, don't have the access. We need to do a better job with that. Oh, and you just segued into some really important questions that we've received for you. So thank you for setting that up, queuing that up. I, I know you didn't know that you were intentionally doing this, <laughs> but but it's perfect. It's spot on. Let's continue on that that course, okay? What are some career strategies that you exercise for motivating behavior change and advocating for mental health for the populations you serve? So within that question, can you tell us a little bit more about the populations you serve? Yeah, I think the majority of my career has been spent with like pretty busy business professionals uh, who perceive that they don't have a lot of time. I'm going to say the word perceive they don't have a lot of time, not that they don't have a lot of, they perceive it, that they don't have a lot of time. Um, and I think one of the biggest, the biggest or key indicators of doing well and reaching people mentally and creating behavior chains is you have to know yourself first. As a fitness professional, are you someone that's great at creating relationships with other people? Do you know how humans behave? If you haven't taken the time to understand how we as people behave and enduring traits that we have that are the, over the course of our lifetime that we exhibit, that we vacillate between, then you really don't know how to work with somebody truly if you don't understand yourself. Understanding the self is really important. It's very difficult to provide behavior change, mental change to other clients when your life is a mess. And you can't, it seems obvious, but there's plenty of people who haven't dealt with the self first, then they go and trying to change other people. Overall, I think another big strategy and behavior change is compassion. Uh, I actually should be coming out soon, an article I'm doing for IDEA on compassionate coaching. And from what I've, I've, been told about the article, I guess, is a very different article for idea because these, these ideas haven't been discussed so much about the nature of compassion and companionship and coaching. And a lot of mental and behavior change comes from compassion. You have to understand what it means to be compassionate with someone else, what it means to truly understand what they're thinking, understand how open is a person, how conscientious are they, how agreeable or not agreeable are they things? Or is there a huge neurotic element to the person I'm working with? Or are they emotionally stable or not? All those things are huge factors to understand before you even start the physical side of things. So knowing the self, taking time to really know yourself is really important. And then understanding the science of how we behave. Probably one of the biggest things that helped me is when I was going through my undergraduate degree, I took a basic counseling course. And during that time, we had a we were required to have a therapist during the course. And I thought that was a really enlightening and really amazing forward thinking thing that my university did to try to help college students know the self better and to be able to help other professionals, other people, you know, the consumers better. Absolutely. Psychologists have psychologists, counselors have counselors, therapists have therapists, personal trainers. Some of us have our own <laughs> exactly. personal trainers, yeah. right? So it's all about 
like you said, knowing oneself and being able to, I know this is trite and overused, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. So finding those those outlets to to fill your cup. Us as service, we as service providers are constantly giving, giving, giving. Yeah. But how are we replenishing is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. How are we replenishing? Yes. And a lot I'm of people in the say. business also, I think, don't stay in our business that long because they don't realize that it's much more about exercise. And they, oh, they get drained by working with people. The emotions of working with another pre- person is almost way more taxing than the exercise aspect of that. And like, you know, you're in a people business. You're in a psychosocial, interpersonal relationship business. So if you don't know yourself, you're probably be in pretty big trouble being in the business. Absolutely. So I'm sure there are fitness professionals working right now and you you have a really big day. And by the end of the day, even though you feel amazing, you feel exuberated, so many high fives and cheers and accolades. But at the end of the day, you are exhausted. You are tired. Giving yourself more credit of, of the battle that you just went through. Like we don't just walk into our gym spaces and leave the classes and leave the sessions. There's prep beforehand, correct? Correct. And then we deliver this service. But but let me ask you this question, Dr. Parker. You're saying that we should, and I agree with you, we should take more time to get to know not only ourselves and our reason, our purpose for doing what we do, but take more time to get to know the clientele. For those of us who are working in certain situations, maybe big box gyms where it's, you know, constant overturn more people more clientele coming in and out of the doors you go from one client session to the next boom 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 your schedule's packed how do you make time to get to know that in that introductory phase what are the questions that we ask the the intentionality of the process how do we do that when we feel just so so busy one i think it's funny i just got in this conversation the other day and this this may be very this is going to sound really different to a lot of fitness professionals. So I think it's a really good thing, but you can't chase money the whole time. You just can't like you have to leave some time during the day as a sacred space where you're doing nothing. You replenish yourself, whatever, whether it's, you know, taking a nap, reading a book, doing what, taking a walk, hiking. You need to spend time with yourself, knowing yourself and building up, kind of the armor for yourself Mm -hmm. to get better. I think one of the hardest things as being in our business is like, we're all kind of addicted to opportunity in the Mm -hmm. business. You know, it's hard to turn down clients or classes and things of that nature. But I'm here to, and I know in the beginning, especially I've been in the business 20 years and I know in the beginning, it's hard to do that because you're trying to take care of yourself. You got to pay the rent, the bills and everything. But, and you know, it's part of hustling, but at some point, you have to say, listen, these times, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do nothing, and I will not replace that 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 space you have on your calendar that you know you want to fill up. You got to put something else. This is a no tra- training zone right here. I don't do anything during this time. The other thing with clients is I think it's, again, really important to talk to clients about their emotional and social wellness is to yeah. say, hey, what are the barriers to your emotional success for training? What are the barriers to your social success? Who is supportive of you doing this? Who is not supportive 
of you doing this type of thing? Have you actually carved out the time to be consistent with this? What things are you willing to discuss or not willing to discuss during the session? Asking those types of questions are really important in the beginning to just lay out, these are the parameters of our relationship. If you really think about it, whether it's classes, training, in-person, virtual, you're dating people over and over again. You're literally going on first dates all the time. And then you're going to like a more cemented relationship, hopefully over time. And a lot of clients, hopefully you're, you're, you're creating partnerships over a really long period, become partners. You kind of marry each other in this sense. You're, you're going through all these relationships with people. And so you have to be honest. I mean, if you're in a dating relationship, somebody, I hope you're being honest with that person. You know, you're not bringing your representative all the time. Be honest. But I think taking time for yourself, not a space where you don't make money is actually really important. I, again, I know this sounds like what, but I'm not making you must do this at some point or else you you will become the money will become the thing that you serve not the client. You will start serving the money. You will not serve the client or your own self growth for that. It's a, it's a thin line, but you got to be careful about it. Absolutely. And you, you helped me to remember when I was working in a situation of supervising full-time employees, I mean, they're spending out many hours of their day within our four walls or our facility as, as you have it. And most of the time within organizational structures, you only get that 30 minutes to hour long lunch break, you know, but does that really help with workday productivity? <laughs> does that, that one break throughout an entire day truly help to re-energize the employees so that they feel valued at work where they're spending the majority of their day so they're not completely depleted when they leave work so that they can take care of themselves so that they can take care of home. But even when they are at work, as I mentioned, productivity, that they're truly doing the work. And what has been proven with um, a lot of research out there and also with the COVID-19 stay-at-home mandate is that with shorter work days, people are getting more done. What a novel idea. (laughs) <laughs> what a novel idea. How about that? So I did actually, when I was so supervising full-time employees, encourage them to block out five minute, 10 minute blocks yeah. throughout the day, in addition to their lunch period. Mm-hmm. To one, you don't have to answer emails at this time. You know, push away, even though we're all into our technology. I have sure. so many devices going right now all over me. I enjoy it. Um, yeah. I have fun with it but push away and disconnect from it. And when you come back, just just see, just sit with it of how energized you truly are when you come back. But Dr. Parker, can we, can we take a step back? Because I feel like we're just going so fast <laughs> on this amazing, this amazing topic. So with personal trainers who are doing their, their pre-assessments with clients, sure, mm-hmm. Sure, I get it. Within the sessions, we develop these relationships, almost friendships with our clients in which we empower them to use their words to tell us what's going on with you. What's going on with you in this session? What feels right? What feels wrong? 
Are you in pain? What's the difference between pain from exercise movement and pain? Something's wrong. Sure, we're we're delivering those cues and, and empowering our clients to use their words and have ownership within the session to express to us. But what are the exact or maybe specific questions that we should be asking in the park cue forms mm -hmm. so that we are getting the information that we need from our clients? Sure. Um, to help us with the, the exchange, the verbal exchange that we will be having in this relationship, but also to empower them in that moment that they are answering those questions, whether it's on a form, whether it's digitized, whether it's us asking them the questions verbally, how are we planting the seeds to the client so that they inadvertently understand the relationship we're trying to develop with them? Well, it's, meant, it's funny you mentioned like the PARQ and all those things. It's like you learn, you know, you disseminate the PARQ, lifestyle question, all those things. But I think they're, they're good starts to this whole thing, but it's, it's not enough. And even like mm -hmm. the lifestyle questionnaires, most of those, the questions are essentially like, are you a smoker? Do you have high blood pressure? And all these things are good. I'm not saying they're not, but there's very little information or questions related to the wellness of people mentally, uh, socially, emotionally. So we need to have questions on there. Let's say, for example, a social, emotion, social uh, wellness question, one which would be like, tell me about your group of friends that you're around. Are they supportive of your exercise endeavors or not? Again, I think this stuff is so foreign to people that if you put that on a form, people might be hesitant to tell you the truth because they're just not used to it. They're not mm -hmm. used to telling people things like this or emotionally you know, on a daily basis. How, you know, do you feel like stable emotionally or do you feel like your feelings are up and down uh, most of the time during the day? Asking questions like that, I think would really give you an indication of where a person is related to those areas of wellness. This is not new. We've known for a long time that there are many, many components of what makes up a person. It's just that in our business, we've, we've decided that the physical portion is mainly what people will care about and what we'll put on a form, what we'll put on a PowerPoint slide, what we'll put in a presentation. And we've largely ignored that there's other parts to people. And, and by the way, those other parts are pretty much the main parts of most people's day, emotionally and socially what they're going through. So more questions that are actually pinpointed into what is the daily psyche, what is the daily emotions, socially, emotionally, spiritually, all those things need to be part of a form, in my opinion. And we shouldn't, I think sometimes we're scared to do that, especially if you get into, let's say, we're going to take it there, spiritual uh, wellness. What's mm -hmm. wrong with asking that on a form? Take it doesn't it there. mean that it's discussing religion. That is religion, just one outgrowth of spirituality is one element. There are various aspects, of, but that, that makes up a large portion of a lot of persons, people's lives. Why are we asking those questions? How do you, what are you centered on? Do you have something that is greater that you're, than yourself that you believe in or not believe in? Does that help give you, does that help center you in your life when you're going through difficult times? If you knew that information, it would help you have a better session with their clients or, you know, whatever uh, platform you're using for that. Absolutely. Such good information there. I'm so excited for this next question. 
Brace yourself, doctor. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) So what about vulnerable and underserved populations? How can we better meet their mental needs through fitness? You know, I think there's been, at least from my point of view, I've seen a lot of programs that try to go into underserved communities and vulnerable populations. And I think there's a lot of good intention but often it's let's make the program free, which is great, but it still doesn't doesn't create adherence or an increase in the thing. And people are, why not? We're offering for free, bringing it to people. And this is a large, large thing because I think this is way larger than fitness is you can provide services in underserved communities and vulnerable populations, but if that area is not safe, if their basic needs as a human and shelter and all these things are not safe, it's probably not going to be successful no matter what you do. So I think it's deeper than what fitness programs you have to do. I think you have to attack the actual symptom of what's happening in those environments. If Mm -hmm. shelter, love, compassion, safety of all these things are not met in a community, this is basic health promotion, then whatever you're offering is pretty pointless, regardless of what it is. So it's a larger social justice, socioeconomic issue that needs to be tackled before I really think a fitness issue needs to be tackled for it. Right. Understanding. And that's what that's what we talk about when we say immersion, mm-hmm. immersing yourself into a, a population, into yes. a demographic. It takes time. You have to take time and intentionality with understanding the problem, the needs the drivers of those needs, yeah? And also the context that these individuals exist in. Very good, very, very good. So Dr. Parker, what would you suggest to our viewers as ways to which to use social technology to advance services to help individuals who still need help determining how, when, where, and with whom they can increase their physical activity and exercise good mental health practices? Another big question, <laughs> right? It's just full of. Oh big my questions. goodness! My mind well, our viewers, it. our viewers were so excited for you. That's so awesome. now you know, you know who's out there. It's some very yeah. intelligent people. Very intelligent. Have good needs. Well, you know, this area is a big pitfall because social technology has a lot of good and it has a lot of bad, and really, it's it's symptomatic of the time we're in. It's really about social literacy or technology literacy. I feel like a lot of this conversation, like in the back half is about things that are bigger than fitness and behavior Mm -hmm. change. You know, it's like more than ever, you know, I talked about this in my presentation, we're gonna change the face of technology in rural communities because we're gonna have better connectivity. You're gonna have things like Starlink. We're gonna get better internet coverage, 5G all across and technology will continue to improve. So the, the hardware of technology and fitness technology going with that, I think will just continue to get better. And we'll use that to reach people in smaller towns and underserved communities who won't have access maybe to great fitness professionals or programs. You, I think you're already seeing that. But I think the, the biggest hurdle to social technology really helping people is that the spread of misinformation about fitness and in technology is so rampant 
It's not new. I mean, especially in fitness, you know, we've always had kind of this, uh, you know, the uh, snake oil salesman mentality, late night infomercial aspect kind of thing. And we've over, we're trying to always overcome quackery in the fitness business completely. It's like, if you've been in the fitness business, misinformation isn't new. It's been going on a long time in the fitness business. But I think that's probably the larger hurdle is getting educated on social technology literacy. Who are you paying attention to? And again, another thing, maybe the viewers will they'll say, man, we're going there, but it's like, you know, we even talk about this in meetings. This happens in meetings with a bunch of educated people. It's like, well, how much of this should be influencer related and how much of this should be formal education related? There's a place for everybody and, and who's using the technology to influence people, this kind of era of influencer. Who are you being influenced by with social technology? You should ask yourself that question. Am I being influenced by a platform, a company, an individual who uh, has a good background in this information, a good basis in science, a uh, good understanding in the science of the body and the mind, or is am I being part of quackery? Is this information misinformation to get me to be a part of something? I don't know if they have all the answers on this, but I, I do know that um, there are fitness industry is full of sources, full of a tremendous amount of resources. But you have to be very, very careful of who you listen to, because just like anything else, we're in an age where people are trying to take advantage of putting out information very easily through the Internet. So I think we have to be very careful of how we use social technology. And we really need to have more social technology literacy. I'm a big proponent of, you know, for kids and stuff, learning more about social literacy all through college and changing curriculums, because this is the time we're going to, we're going to be in this time. This isn't going away. We need to arm people with the ability to know what's, what's credible information and what isn't credible information and what social technology is actually trying to help people and what, what technology isn't. So um, it's difficult to know, but I think you want to get impartial, objective information about the technology you're using. Um, and I think that's a big part of, of doing well with it. Very good, very good information. Dr. Parker, that, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today, but I thank you. I thank you so much for sharing this space with us, with myself, with our viewers, with our team. Um, if people wanna keep this conversation going with you, how can they reach you? Yeah, um, they can contact me at darianparker at gmail.com. My email is pretty easy. It's just my name, my last first and last name at gmail.com. And then uh, through LinkedIn, I usually spend a lot of time connecting with my colleagues on there uh, as well. Um, those are probably the two main ways to just contact me. I will get back to you quickly. And I love having conversations with colleagues. In fact, I was doing that right before this, was talking to one of my colleagues and we were actually talking about like, you know, loneliness among fitness professionals, mm -hmm. especially during the time that we've had and that, you know, we're better together than we are apart. So if you're watching this and you're thinking, man, I do want to talk with my colleagues, I should replace that should with I will. I will do I this will. and I'm going to make a plan to reach out. Reach out to me. I'm happy to connect with you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker. 
Hi team, I hope you enjoyed Kia's interview with Dr. Darian Parker. If you like this specific career focus, please be sure to check out the Idea Career Development Series for more laser-focused content on specific areas of specialization in our industry. We've covered an array of topics with some of the industry's top minds and talents, so there's sure to be something that suits your areas of interest. This is Sandy Webster signing off. I hope you have a wonderful week, and as ever, thank you for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place. Please reach out to me or the content team at content at ideafit.com if we can help you with anything. The IdeaFit Pro Show is part of the IdeaFit Podcasting Network. Many thanks to our executive producer, Jordan Leeds, and our engineer and editor, Mike Hilding. Copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.